Hello, everyone, and welcome to our monthly podcast entitled Stagflation Risks Are Rising. It is the 14th of April. My name is Lorna Denny, and I'm joined today by Niall MacDonald and Alex Byrne. It's been said that history is just one thing after another, but sometimes those things can seem like a collision of random, even extreme events, nicely expressed by the term polycrisis, with many things going wrong at the same time. As 2022 began, the world's central banks had a plan, normalise policy, head off inflation and allow the growth recovery to continue. Then came the dual shock of war in Ukraine and soaring food and energy prices. How can the central banks keep ahead of events now, controlling rising inflation while maintaining growth? Today we'll address these questions and consider the implications for financial markets. Niall, could I ask you to frame our discussion by reminding us of the difficult market backdrop so far this year? Yes, 2022 has been a very bad start to the year for markets and one of the worst, I think it's fourth in the last two decades that we've seen. So a combination of a hawkish shift from the US Federal Reserve to combat inflation, and that's also been ubiquitous across global central banks. Inflation itself being concerned for consumer spending power, arguably rich equity valuations, and the Russian invasion of Ukraine has caused significant volatility across most asset classes. So global equity markets, as measured by the MSCI Global Index, they're down about 7.2% for the year. The technology sector in particular has been the worst affected with growth stocks, which are very technology heavy, down 9%, so underperforming the broader market. So looking at the NASDAQ, which is essentially a technology index or an adequate proxy for such, this is down close to 13%. So we have seen widespread wealth destruction in equity markets. What have been the shining lights in this equity drawdown? Well, value and dividend paying stocks have done very well and are actually positive for the year. So value stocks really like inflation and higher interest rates because if they're composed of sectors like financials and energy, So higher interest rates can make financials more profitable. And also energy has performed strongly due to soaring oil prices, which has been a key driver in the inflation dynamics we are seeing. Over to fixed income, there really hasn't been a place to hide either, as the move higher in interest rates has caused bond prices to fall. Also, these higher interest rates are causing stress in credit markets, with corporate spreads widening too. So when you look across the fixed income spectrum, there really has been no fixed interest security that's produced positive returns. So the global aggregate index, which is composed of government and corporate bonds is down about 6.7% in euro hedge turns. So unfortunately for bond investors, there have been really nowhere to hide, apart from allocations to inflation swaps. So these are instruments that track the return on inflation. And we in Architas have had allocations to these across a number of our bond portfolios. So I'd say asset allocation has been critical and looking at other elements of the investment universe has been critical to build resilient portfolios. So gold, for example, up 8% and has acted as an adequate inflation hedge. Thank you for that comprehensive roundup. And Alex, as far as macroeconomic forecasts are concerned, inflation and growth seem to be heading in opposite directions. That's right, Lorna. As we know, inflation has for a long time been on an upward journey, originally driven higher by the pandemic, with workforces being locked down, factories being shut and delivery routes off limits. Supply side was struck back with significant delays, raising prices for those items that were available. This problem was exacerbated during the recovery as demand for products skyrocketed when economies reopened. That disruption to trade and supply chains was a hammer blow by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Although not big parts of the global economy or trade, they have a significantly outsized effect on the delivery of commodities, particularly rare earth metals, 
food items such as wheat and, of course, oil and gas. We've seen months of ever-increasing prices and inflation numbers beating market expectations in almost every region around the globe, with no signs yet of it peaking. In order to combat inflation, expectations of interest rate rises have increased significantly over the last six weeks. Those act as a cooling force to the hot economy. These two items together are causing the slowing of growth expectations, which until now have been moderate but not severe. The obvious worry is that these issues run out of control and there is a significant downside in the economy and markets. Yes, we've spoken before on this podcast about stagflation. Is that a real prospect for this year? Just to recap, stagflation is that dreaded combination of slowing economic growth, higher unemployment and rising prices. And if we look at the current environment around the world, we have had good growth because of the recovery from COVID. However, as discussed, rising price risk is significant and trade bottlenecks are likely to have a big impact on slowing that growth. High unemployment. Luckily, in many parts of the world, we are at record low unemployment. There are caveats to this, such as in Europe, but in the US, to contrast, we've recently hit historical lows. If the hit to growth tips into recession, though, as an increasing number of actors believe it will do, then higher unemployment is sure to follow. And on inflation, we already have it, and it's difficult to see how at this point it doesn't get worse from here. Importantly, it can begin to filter through into significantly higher wage growth, which has that self-fulfilling negative effect in this environment. That low unemployment we spoke of causes structural inflation, as wage inflation has to occur to attract applicants from an ever-dwindling pool. The reason this is such a dreaded combo, again, is it puts governments and central banks in that that impossible position of trying to support growth, which inherently has that byproduct of further pressuring prices. Yes, indeed. And declining growth forecasts are one thing. But in recent weeks, we've had telltale indicators from the US Treasury market now that we might, in fact, be facing a recession in the US economy. Could you please read the runes of the bond market for us? Yes, Lorna. So the inverted yield curve in the US, the apparent harbinger of doom, has shown its head briefly. So front-end interest rates, that's one to two years, were higher than 10-year and longer-dated issues. And this has historically been a relatively good predictor of recession. Now, not to say that this time it's different, because Fed policy to combat inflation could very well lead to a recession. But I think there are a couple of important dynamics in our view to consider. One, an inverted yield curve does not provide an indication on the timing of recession. So for example, the yield curve inverted in 2006, but the recession didn't come until 2008. But this time as well, longer dated issues have been well supported by one, liability driven investors like pension schemes and insurance companies who are price agnostic and that they will always buy these issues. And two, what's very important is the Fed's buying program and the balance sheet, which has held and bought a large number of these longer dated securities. So as the Fed begins balance sheet reduction, which has been announced, we believe that will put put upper pressure on yields in the longer end and steepening the yield curve. And indeed, we've already begun to see this emerge. Yes, and worth reminding our listeners that rising pressure on yields, of course, means bond prices falling. And yet the US Fed has started an interest rate raising cycle last month and seems determined to stick to their tightening plan. Is it fair to judge the Fed's actions as tight until something breaks? The Fed has a dual mandate, and that's one, employment, and then two, inflation or stability of prices. So the labour market has been very tight. Unemployment is down to 3.4%, and wage inflation has been creeping up across the United States. So you could look at the Atlanta Fed produces this wage growth tracking index, so looking at wage inflation, and that has been rising quite significantly. Inflation now is a global phenomenon, so not only in the United States. So this combination of supply chain disruptions and an arguably overstimulated economy and soaring commodity prices means that inflation in the near term is not dissipating. So the Fed really has to tackle this by using its monetary policy, hiking interest rates, to try and take some consumer demand out of the economy. 
And Alex, over at the European Central Bank, so much closer to the action in Ukraine, is the policy stance similar? As yet, we haven't seen the action that we have in other regions. However, the expectations of those rises has increased meaningfully over the last month. Remember, of course, that we are at negative levels in Europe, so any shift has an outsized effect both physically and, more importantly, psychologically. What has certainly changed is the tone and rhetoric. What we've had is a significant hardening and increase in hawkishness. That has a preference to be more constraining on the economy through monetary policy than to be more supportive. And finally, China is struggling now with its zero COVID policy, but economic growth seems to be a very clear priority in the world's second largest economy. It does, but what's happening in China has the potential to be extremely important. It could be the equivalent of pouring pepper on the fire. Let's not forget that through many worrying periods for global economics, we have relied on China to support that growth with its suspiciously precise targets. With the severe lockdowns in major cities and regions, there has to be an effect on trade and demand. Those bottlenecks in trade could worsen meaningfully, and again, that pressure on prices filters through. We would need to see both an extremely accommodative approach by the government and central bank, which they historically have been, but the market is in something of a wait-and-see mode at the moment. And we likely need to see a big shift in COVID spread through the country, which there are meaningful roadblocks still to work out there. Yes, quite a contrast in policy of the Western world there. Niall, there has been talk over this first quarter, when bond and equity markets have both suffered drawdowns, of an illusion of diversification. How are we dealing with this at Architas? Yes, Lorna. So we've had the combination of both equities and bonds selling off. So typically in asset allocation, your bond portfolio is your defensive ballast. So when equities sell off, bonds can rise as, as a flight to quality or safe haven asset. And this hasn't been the case, the hawkish shift by the Fed to combat inflation. Now in Architas, we've been quite negative on bonds for well over a year now at this stage. And we've been recommending across portfolios, one, higher allocations to cash, two, reducing interest rate sensitivity in portfolios, three, allocation to alternatives such as gold, as I mentioned. And lastly, in response to the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the knock-on implications that could potentially have with inflation dynamics and GDP growth in the Eurozone, we've tilted to moderate underweight in our equity portfolios by reducing European equity market exposure. Thank you both very much indeed. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Laura.